those people can't speak to your experience. Mm. And the problem is, is that they're trying to. I think what we have to do is recognize these teachings don't apply to everybody. They can't, and nor should they. Welcome to Chill the Fuck Out, a non-self-help, self-help show that goes beyond surface-level well-being and explores some light, entertaining, and positive ways we can improve our mental health and well-being. By interviewing some expert guests and taking a look at the topic of mental health in a wider context, we really do learn to chill the fuck out. I want to speak about the messy business of, of mind cure. You're in Florida. I used to speak at a conference in Key West, and I had a great time. And part of the event was that we had a, a boat ride when the sun was setting. And the first time we did this, I got incredibly seasick. And I was told it was just my limiting belief. <laughs> and that, that story, once again, if I think about these building blocks that really had me start to, as I matured and I looked at these building blocks of beliefs that I was holding, there are moments like that where I really started to feel like, hold up, what's going on? What do you make of the idea that we can cure illness with our minds? I think we have to start with the reality that there is a mind-body connection. We know this to be true. But again, this is one of those places where I think the pendulum swung too far in the opposite mm -hmm. direction. There are, of course, people who feel physical ailments, maybe because of their mental state. But I find that it is rarely as black and white as your thoughts or a belief caused this thing. It's mm -hmm. usually very multifactorial. Where's the person living? What's their job? All this other stuff that goes into that. I do not believe that we can cure illness with our minds. I believe that the mind is very powerful and maybe helping us make better decisions about our care, um, about keeping us motivated to continue making good decisions for our treatment. But I find beliefs that say, you know, this person has cancer or they have this because of how they lived their life to be extremely harmful, stigmatizing, and really not backed up with a lot of science. Yeah, I think in your book, you use the word abysmal. <laughs> which I really appreciate. Um, yeah, and that for me is a part where it gets very messy, for, for lack of a better word, because when it comes to my experiences with the positive thinking movement, there's been so many benefits I've gotten from it, so many wonderful people I've met. And the part for me where we are no longer in the realms of reality is the complete mind cure pill. So, so to speak. But to you, that's interesting. I use that word because we're told, and I'm speaking as someone who has been in that world, that reality is a, is a limiting place, is a, you know, it's not a high conscious place. But once again, whether or not it's happening, is that, is that making sense? Like whether we want to believe in reality or not, um, it continues, it continues to unfold. You're in the States where the word God is much more integrated into everything, which, which I'm cool with. I, I'm cool with the word God. When we talk about, and we say this in the book, God wants me to be happy or God only wants good for me. Or a, a phrase I really don't like is God is good. In some ways it can cross over into being offensive to people's lives that you cannot put a spiritual band-aid 
over. And it doesn't take much to turn on the TV and see. There's a lot happening in the world that to say God is good, only good is happening, becomes offensive. In the United States, with the word God not being so loaded, what do you make of statements such as God is good, only good is happening, etc.? I I still think it's particularly loaded for a lot of Mm -hmm. people just because we all have different versions of what God might mean. And for some people, they don't believe in in any God. And mm-hmm. so the approach that I take with this kind of stuff is that if you want to pick up that tool and say, believing in God, believing everything happens for a reason, that God has a plan mm-hmm. for me, if that feels fulfilling and supportive to you, great. Mm-hmm. If that's what gets you through the day, I think you should have that. The problem arises when we try to take that belief and put it on other people. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And tell people, you know, oh, well, God has a plan for you. That's why this is happening. Or God's good. He's gonna, he's gonna give you what you need. And that's not my belief. That to me is when we go from something that's very helpful to something being now quite toxic. And it seems like a lot of what you say in the book and what you're saying today, it's as if all of these things let's not say all, most of these things are fundamentally good, but you keep saying the pendulum has swung too far the other way. I, I really love that because I've had an internal debate about how do I start to tell people in my new age circles, I no longer believe that without it, without completely throwing out the foundation of the, of the philosophy, which as you said, if that is a beneficial practice for you, if that is a tool that works for you, if that's a thought that comforts you, great. I've got thoughts that comfort me, which could be argued as little in reality as God is only good. But I really love about pushing it on other people is where a problem can occur. I see this happen more with mental health in, in this arena. I'm someone that has taken antidepressants in the past, according to the psychiatrists. I've got ADHD and dyslexia, and, and I believe them. I'm not, I, don't, I believe their diagnosis. There is a bigger pushback, I feel, against mental health experiences and neurodiverse experiences. Do you agree? And if so, why is that? So I think there's definitely a pushback. There's also more of this resistance towards treatment, uh, maybe towards medication, towards believing a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, you hear a lot of the rhetoric of like, it's all in your head, it's actually fine. When we know that neurodiversity is a legitimate thing. It Mm -hmm. exists, it's, you know, it happens. People have different ways of functioning, different ways of interacting with the world. And I think to deny that is a form of gaslighting, honestly, to people who have those experiences to outright say, I don't believe you. And I think that's wrong when you have no idea what it's like to live in that person's body. That's just so well put. And it's it's likely the answer to the next part I want to move on to. In your book, you speak about 11 ways where positivity may not be helpful. One of them being grief and loss. Now, I want to hone in on that. I grew up in a small Catholic community in Ireland. I was around grief and loss from before I can remember. Open casket wakes, people coming around because they'd recently lost somebody. I believe the the Irish do grief and loss very well and very often. It even hit close to my family from very early on in my life. And even recently, there's been a a close um, loss in my life. 
when it comes to that experience, I am going to say love, for lack of a better phrase. Grief and loss is the one thing that is unable to be manifested over. And because of that, I really lean into the experience as an interest point. What do you have to say about the experience of grief and loss and a way to approach it that's not helpful? I think grief and loss makes a lot of people quite uncomfortable. I mean, mm-hmm. that's my experience here in the States is that we often don't know what to do with those mm-hmm. feelings or how to approach them. And that's, I think, when people try to use positivity mm-hmm. to make it better. You know, they're in a better place now. They wouldn't want to see you sad, whatever it may be. That you're right. I think grief and loss is one of those things that you have to, like, walk through. There mm-hmm. is no other way to get around it. Like people could say the nicest thing in the world to you and it's not going to feel much better. So that's why I always recommend like, how can you meet this person where they're at? How can you talk to them about their loss? How can you learn about what they're going through? How can you show up for them? Whether that's through action or words or just sitting with them or making food, like really not trying to pull the person out of that spot. Mm -hmm. And it definitely is what happens. People want to try and pull you out of that spot. But you also, if you're someone who has been around long enough and heard enough talks and read enough books, you want to start to pull yourself out of it and, and fast forward the experience. It's why grief and loss, I think, is just so poignant. Because as you said, when it comes down to it, you have to walk through. You have to walk through the experience. There's nothing you can manifest if you believe in manifestation that is ever going to compensate for that loss. You eventually get to a place where the only thing to do is grieve. And I love, I keep it's wrong phrase, maybe it's the right phrase, uh, that grief and loss is a life experience that cannot be monopolized by a metaphysical belief system. You can't and if you can't will someone not to die, you can't will someone back to life, you can't will your pain to go away. Um, so I think it's a profound experience. The other point, the other one of the the ways where positivity is not always helpful, you mentioned in the book, is uh, racism, homophobia, ableism. Huge topic, and you don't have to look far to see many authors from publishing houses or who've been in the well-being industry long enough coming out to address that the well-being industry for a long time, or still now in many ways, caters to a certain audience. You speak about this in the book when George Floyd was murdered. That experience is really twofold for me because firstly, it was then when I realized, it, it was when I learned to shut up effectively about, oh, wow, a lot of these principles I talk about, I'm understanding them from a certain perspective, living life, I'm, I'm a white man. The later experience of that was, oh, wow, but the same way I now understand that I can't speak to the experience of, of someone who's Black, all these teachers I've been following can't speak to the experience of someone who is gay and neurodiverse, as I am. And that was a an empowering moment. And I'd been part of it. Like I said, I'd, I'd been part of this uh, blind spot. But how could someone who was a very wealthy Californian tell me about my North English gay experience? And it's not because they're wrong, but, but they can't. Mm-hmm. Where do we go with that? No, I think you're so right that 
those people can't speak to your experience. Mm. And the problem is, is that they're trying to. And so <laughs> I think what we have to do is recognize these teachings don't apply to everybody. They can't and nor should they. And so how can we recognize whether it's as therapists, coaches, yoga teachers, how we can deliver tools in a way that says, this is what I'm offering. This is what I've seen work. It's what I'm teaching. And you get to choose whether you want to pick this up and use some of it, all of it, or none of it. And I'm not telling you that if you don't pick this up, something bad is going to happen mm. to you or that it's your fault. And really, again, along with creating more diversity in all of these spaces, I think teaching people, like you said at the start of our conversation, to think critically about, does this content fit my life? Does it make sense for me based on my identity? And maybe it won't. There are people that are going to hear me and say, this girl does not resonate with me. You know, yeah. it's not what's good for my life. And I, I want people to feel empowered to recognize that and to make that decision. And I love that you've used the word empowered because that's the opposite feeling I had when I was most in the trenches of the positive thinking world mm -hmm. because it was a it was an identity that was not mine. If we think about the the cookie cutter model of a spiritual teacher, a self help teacher, and then I and I would say, but I'm going to use these tools and I'm going to become that identity. Well, one that would be an inauthentic expression of who I am, but also the just from where I was starting from was was such a different place. And I do believe that the the one size fits all or the absolute truth arena, or, you know, often we say it, it's a universal truth. It, it, it's a law. I mean, it's called the law of attraction for crying out loud. <laughs> I think that's language that now needs to be monitored. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and making things, I mean, I just use the word absolutely, but yeah. <laughs> not speaking in, yeah. in absolutes about things that we don't know. Yeah. Are there any particular phrases that come to mind when you think of toxic positivity? Oh gosh, I feel like I give so many of them in the book, but like um, your thoughts create your reality. Mm -hmm. Everything happens for a reason. Time heals all wounds. I hate that one. Yeah. Um, yeah. As much as we've had this conversation around, it's not all good. It's not all bad. Most things start from a good place, but the pendulum has swung too far the other way. Are there any parts of the positivity movement that you believe go into the realm of dangerous? Dangerous is a strong word. Yeah. I, I think it can become dangerous and we've seen it become dangerous when people feel like they can cure serious um, physical or mental health ailments on their own just with the power of their mind that we do often see um, sometimes devastating outcomes from that. Yeah, you don't have to answer this. Is there any particular <laughs> um, philosophy of belief or even a certain book that you just can't even with? I, I think The Secret is one of those mm. for me. Um, or, and a lot of the Law of Attraction books, I read several mm. of them in the process of writing this book and I it was hard for me to finish them, to be honest. Yeah, if you think of the spiritual new age world is there any philosophies or teaching you can point to that gets whitney's seal of approval <laughs> i'm not sure if there's any specific ones that i'm aware of but i do think that people believing in something bigger than themselves 
and believing that there is power in the universe can mm. be a really beneficial and positive force in people's lives, whether that's through religion or another type of spirituality. That's that's what I agree. And I as like as I go on this journey of the new age dropout, I definitely am at a place where there's so much of it I want to keep with me and keep in my heart. And there's mm-hmm. so much toxicity that I've reached a point in my life that I can't be around anymore. To, to sum up my spiritual beliefs that I'm currently taking as I leave a lot behind, but it's this idea that there is something bigger than me mm-hmm. is comforting, uplifting, but I'm not expecting it to, to do anything I ask it to do. When we're using the phrase, God is good. I started to say, God is God, because I, I, it's, I can't look out at even my life, but let alone the world and say, this is good. And I've actually yeah. found a lot. I found a much deeper spiritual practice by the observation of what is. Whereas I believe when you speak about the law of attraction, it's a constant exercise in what can I change? Mm-hmm. And it becomes it becomes neurotic. For sure, for sure. Yeah. Or like, what can I ignore? What can I look away from so as not to create more of it? Before we close up, is there anything else you'd like to offer to the conversation? We've just gotten so much. I am I'm really thankful. Is there anything that you want to uh, leave us with? No, I think this was great. I re- I haven't gotten to speak with someone who was super involved in, in these communities, you know, since writing the book. Yeah. So it's a really interesting conversation. Oh, yeah. And I, I'm just so, like I said, I, I read the book and then I read it again in preparation for this interview. But when I was reading it, underlining things, I was, I was in the coffee shop yesterday, just like crying and exhilarated all at the same time <laughs> because it really is the beautifully articulated explanation as to what I feel has been happening in my life and my friends' lives for the last five plus years. And it's also a huge permission slip to not have to throw away the baby with the bathwater for, for lack of a better sure. Like I still believe in positivity. I still believe in something bigger than myself, but I give myself permission and confidence to, to not believe what I don't believe. And I've recommended this book to even the people I know who are completely in the world of an absolute belief system because it's not offensive. It's smart, it's rational, and it allows space for, like you said, if you believe that and it's good for you, great. It's not confronting anybody aggressively, but it is offering a really well thought out view on positivity. And Thank I'm you. very thankful for it. And I'm really thankful we had this time. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Chill the Fuck Out. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. I want to inspire as many people as I can with these episodes, so I'd really appreciate it if you shared the show with a friend or a family member who find it useful. Also, please leave me a review and let me know what topics you'd like to hear discussed on the show. For more information about who I am and what I do, visit heyseanpatrick.com or email me directly at sean at heyseanpatrick.com.